This is all the important stuff in life right here. So there are important things in life represented in this, in this thing. There are keys. How many of you would say, my car is like a big thing in my life? It takes my time, takes my money, I give it a lot of love, I give it some attention. Yeah, we've got, if you've got a car, depending on how well running your car is, it consumes more or less of your time and emotional energy. Uh, some of you understood that. Uh, this represents food. Food is a big piece of our lives. We spend a lot of time preparing it, eating it, thinking about it, wanting it, regretting we had it. This, this represents food. Food is a big piece of our lives. This uh, represents, this blanket is the softest thing you'll ever find. It's my favorite blanket. This represents comfort. There are certain things that bring us comfort, things that we like, things that we hold on to that simply bring us comfort. They bring peace and they bring a sense of calm into our lives, things that we like to have. Uh, clothing. Some of us pay a lot of attention to clothing, important things in our lives. Um, and so, uh, yeah, clothing takes our time, takes our money. We've got to think about it. I'm really glad everybody's wearing clothes today. And it's a good thing that we have clothes, so that's good. We have uh, family. Family is an important piece of our lives. This is a picture of my husband and my, my boys were babies, and they're just so cute and have cheeks and stuff like that. And family is a big piece of many of our lives. Whether it's good or hard or awkward, it's, it's still a piece of our lives. We have drink. Uh, for some of us, uh, drink is a good thing. Other, for others of us, drink is a thing we need to have out of our lives. But um, yeah, drink of, of various sorts is, is often a part of our lives. Sometimes medications, when they're used well, they can be a source of blessing. When they're abused, they can be a source of, of pain and sorrow and, and addiction and difficulty. We have uh, another important thing in our life is stuff. Now, um, this is a rooster that I keep in my kitchen, and it serves no practical purpose. It sits on this nice little hutch thing that I have, and I care about my hutch being very functional, like everything on there has a purpose, except this rooster, which doesn't do anything other than I like it. It's just a dust collector, but I like it. So it's, you know, just stuff. It's a decorative stuff that I have that I like. So some of us have I mean, we all have stuff of, of various kinds. Some of it's useful, some of it's not. Uh, so there's stuff. Um, there's another important thing in our life is time, how we use time and how we uh, waste it, how we spend it, how we invest it. Time is a big thing. And then you can't forget this little deal called a phone that consumes a lot of our lives, a lot of our energy, a lot of our investment, a lot of our everything is wrapped up in our phones. So these are just some pieces of our lives. And when we meet Jesus, when we first encounter Jesus, I think a lot of us think about, I'm going to take Jesus, this is the word of God, so this is the closest thing we have to his word, I'm going to take Jesus, and I'm going to add him into the mix of my life. I'm going to throw Jesus in with all these parts of my life, and hopefully there will be a little bit of, I don't know, like Jesus dust that kind of covers everything and makes all of my life better. 
That's a lot of times what we think salvation is or what we think it means to become a Christian. We add a little Jesus in, and then everything gets better. The problem is that Jesus is never content to be one of multiple things in your life. Jesus calls that having idols. Jesus, instead of being thrown into the mix, wants to be over the mix. Not down here with everything else, but over and above, ordering everything according to his will. Jesus is not asking to be added to your life. Jesus wants a total takeover. So when you invite Jesus into your life, you are not inviting him to come in and add to your life as you might going out for dinner or adding in a mentor or adding in a fun event. You are, adding, you are bringing Jesus into your life and saying, Jesus, you can be in charge. That's what it means to become a Christian. And so we do, thi- so, so we do things like examine the priorities and we examine the, what needs to be eliminated from my life, what needs to be shared, what needs to be distributed. Another thing that wasn't in here was money. Money plays a massive role in our lives. For some of us, it keeps us up at night. We think about it. We obsess about it. The, the scripture says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so when we have Jesus, Jesus is to be over our money. He is not to be just one of multiple things that affects our money. Jesus wants to be in charge of how we spend our money, how we save our money, how we make our money, how we share our money. The Bible also talks about sexual immorality, and I I didn't include sex as one of the components here because I couldn't think of a symbol that would be appropriate to bring to church. But I think we need to talk about it because it is a big piece of our lives. And the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Jesus cares about your sex life. Jesus cares about how sex plays out in our lives. And Jesus isn't interested in you just adding, you just sprinkling a little bit of Jesus into that part of your life. He's interested in being in charge of that part of your life. That's what it means to give your life to Christ. And so Jesus says, I want to come in, and I don't want to be added to your life. I want to take over your life. So he will say, I want you to put me first. I want you to put me over all. Because I am going, if you do this, he says, I will, I will empower you. I will cleanse you. I will anoint you and sanctify you. I will heal you. I will equip you. I will purge and burn away what needs to be purged and burned away. And you're not going to like it. He does say that. You're not going to always like it. But you'll like the end result. We want to add Jesus, but he wants to take over. So, let's look at what we have been studying in the book of Acts. We have in, uh, this is uh, week eight in our study of Acts 18 through 20. So we have spent three chapters focusing on Paul's time visiting with the Christians in Ephesians. He started a church in Ephesus, and these three chapters in Acts have been focused on what's happening here in Ephesus. Now, if you've been at City Life for a while, you'll know that we have uh, taken the book of Acts, I I don't know how many years, six, seven years we've done this now, and we take a chunk of Acts, and we kind of just 
go as far as we can, and we dig in, and we take our time, we might take two or three more years to finish the book of Acts. I don't know, but we'll see how far we get next summer. But uh, where we are in the book of Acts is we're nearing the end in some of the final chapters of the book. And we have seen how the church went from Jesus ascending into heaven and, uh, and the church then beginning around with uh, down here in Israel. And from Jerusalem, the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus were sent out. And the second half of the book of Acts really focuses on Paul's missionary journeys. Paul traveled all over this area and then he went for a second trip all around this area, and then a third trip again all around this area, starting churches, discipling Christians, raising up leaders, equipping people to lead churches and lead Christian communities, and then um, that's where we are now, at the end of his third and final missionary journey. So where we are in the book of Acts is Paul is coming back this way. He stops at Miletus. He calls for the the church leaders at Ephesus to come and meet him in Miletus. And he says, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And he says, I'm going to travel back back to to where I came from. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. And he says that this is, I'm here to say goodbye. And these are things that you need to know. And so we have at the second half of Acts chapter 20, his final speech that he gives to the Christians in Ephesus. Now, this is kind of a unique thing that we see from Paul because most of the speeches from Paul that we see in the scriptures are him addressing non-believers, the the Jewish non-believers, the Gentile non-believers. This is a, a glimpse that we have into church life. And he says, I want to talk to you about these important things before I leave you. So this is the third and final week of this section of Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesians. The first week, we, uh, we talked about um, the fishbowl, how, how Paul said, watch how I've lived. You've, you have seen how I've lived. Follow my example. Last week, Dr. Evans preached, and he, he covered the part about the warnings that Paul gave. He says, beware of threats to your faith. Beware, there are going to be people who are going to attack your beliefs. They're going to tear down, they're going to try to tear down the church. They're going to attack you, and you need to beware of that. Beware of false teachers. And this week, we're looking at kind of the middle section. We just went a little out of order. We're looking at the middle section, verses 22 through 24, in which it's a call to total surrender, where he says, I want to call you to a life of surrender. I'm going to read today's passage, Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. And now, Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I'm going to ask you to read that out loud with me because I'd like you to really savor the words. Acts 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying 
to the good news of God's grace. Paul does not have a life in which he has added Jesus. Paul has a life in which Jesus has taken over and is giving direction. Church, we are tempted to add Jesus when Jesus wants to take over. So let's dig in to Paul's words here and seek to understand how Jesus is taking over and what his invitation is to us. The first part of verse 22 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit. Paul says, The Spirit is driving me to do this. The Spirit is so strong and is so loud that I can't help but go back. I can't help but go back to Jerusalem. Even though I know hardships are there, the Holy Spirit is compelling me. Paul has the kind of relationship with God in which he knows the difference between when there's a prompting from the Holy Spirit to do something and when the Holy Spirit is compelling him like it is time to move. He walks that closely with God. Church, the message for us is that Jesus wants to take over and he invites you to, number one, surrender leadership of yourself. Surrender leadership of yourself. Paul had no human reason to return to Jerusalem. He said what waited for him there was prison and hardship. There is no human reason to go back. But we have here what could have been a conflict between the Spirit's leadership versus my own leadership. We have these conflicts. We have these all the time. In fact, if we had been Paul, we could have easily said, I'm not going to Jerusalem because if I do, I'm going to die. Rather logical, don't you think? We could have said, we, he, we could have said, I'm not going to follow the Holy Spirit because he has me do crazy things, and I'm just going to do things that aren't so crazy. I'm going to do things that are logical rather than illogical. I'm going to do things that are more fun and not so stressful rather than things that are stressful. Jesus is inviting us to let him be in charge, which means that we must surrender leadership of ourselves to him. It means that we don't lead our lives anymore, but that he leads our lives. I, I find it interesting. Paul, Paul is compelled by the Spirit, so he has a way of, of hearing the Holy Spirit at work. And if you're wondering how, how to hear the Holy Spirit, let me just give you a couple thoughts about this. The more you practice listening for the Holy Spirit, the more you have an opportunity to obey what, you've, what the Holy Spirit is telling you. You know what God wants you to obey by doing what? Thank you, Charlie. You know this because I keep saying this week after week. You only can know what to obey. You only know how to live by reading the Bible. We get these ideas of, well, this is a Christian thing to do or that's a Christian thing to do. You're making stuff up. You think you know, but it's not in the Bible. Read your Bibles. And so we read our Bibles and we find out what to obey. If we want to hear the Holy Spirit, a great place to begin is by obeying whatever you know to obey. If you know God wants you to do something, obey that first thing. Obey that first thing. Then when it's time, he'll give you a second thing. Then obey that second thing. That is how you can cultivate being conformed to the mind of Christ. And as you are conformed to the mind of Christ, that, that takes you surrendering leadership of yourself to leadership of God in your life. And it means you surrendering yourself to what God wants you to do rather than what you want to do. The Holy Spirit 
will speak to you through scripture, will form you as you obey him. And as you do that, you will increasingly walk in step with the Spirit. So here we have the Holy Spirit giving Paul his daily orders. He's giving him instruction on what to do. What, What if we began each day asking God, God, what are your orders for me today? God, here's my planner. Here's my calendar. What what do you want me? Are these, in, are these in order of priority? What am I missing? What is your to-do list for me today? Uh, qu- quite a few years ago, for, for Lent, I wanted to do a practice that would help me just grow and pay more attention to the Lord. And for some reason, I had this terrible idea that I was going to give up my calendar for Lent. Meaning, every morning, those of you who know me know that's, I don't know, maybe idolatry level in my life, I don't know. But, um, but I, I, th- I, I really felt like I really want to surrender my plans to God. And so every morning I would bring out my calendar and I'd say, God, what's not on here that needs to be here? What's on here that shouldn't be on here? What do I need to do first? Help me prioritize. Ooh, those priorities were hard because sometimes I wanted to do the easier thing. And he's like, nope, start with the hard thing. Sometimes I wanted to do the thing that seems more important. He's like, no, this other thing's much more important, actually. So, so it, was, it was an imperfect process, but it was an exercise in seeking to really turn that over to the Lord and to seek to walk with him uh, in every part of my life. It was the hardest thing I've ever given up for Lent. And I, I questioned all the time, am I hearing God? Is this just me creating this stuff in my head? But I will say that I learned some things through that time, and it did help me in my journey of growing and seeking to listen to the Holy Spirit. What if we asked, like Paul, what's your to-do list for me today, God? My danger is I'm like, oh, I did that before. I did that like years ago during Lent, so I don't need to do that anymore. (laughs) But maybe you've got to struggle too with that. What if we asked God, what's your to-do list for me today, God? Let's live in such a way that we're available to the Holy Spirit. Let's live in such a way so that the Holy Spirit has access to us. The Holy Spirit is constantly wanting to be affecting us. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. We read in Pentecost how the Holy Spirit was given to us. God clearly wants us to have his Holy Spirit at work in our lives, and yet we stifle it, we shut it out, we don't read this book. If you want to expose yourself to to the Holy Spirit, start here. Get this book open. Live in such a way so that the Holy Spirit has regular access to you. I think you will be amazed. This verse says Paul was compelled by the Spirit. That's the New International Version. Compelled, drawn by the Spirit. The King James Version translates it as bound in the Spirit. I am bound. I'm bound up. I'm tied up with the Holy Spirit. I can't get away. The New Living Translation says, I was drawn irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. Just this pull, this this strong pull of the Spirit. The New Revised Standard says, I'm a captive to the Spirit. Do you understand the level of bonding that there is between the Holy Spirit and Paul? That bonding is what is allowing him to hear and what is allowing him to respond. If we, church, live that we are bound to the Holy Spirit, if we can be so attached to the Holy Spirit, connected to the Holy Spirit, at the service of and available to the Holy Spirit, we will be amazed. We will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will compel us to do. 
So I have a couple questions for you. I have three points today, and I have a couple questions after each point. I'd like the questions will be on the screen. I'd like you to pull out a piece of paper and write down your responses to these things. So this first point is he invites you to surrender leadership of yourself. The first question is, in what area of your life do you need to give up self-leadership and instead have spirit leadership? In what area of your life do you need to give up self-leadership and instead have spirit leadership? Now maybe something comes to mind and you're like, well, I'm not sure that it's really bad. If you're not sure but you're kind of wondering, maybe just write it down as something to explore with God. In what area of your life do you need to give up self-leadership and instead let the Spirit lead you? The second question is how can you cultivate greater connection to the Holy Spirit? How can you cultivate a greater bonding with the Holy Spirit? I'm just going to tell you, the Holy Spirit's after you. The Holy Spirit wants you. How can you make yourself more available and cultivate a greater connection with the Holy Spirit? Jesus invites you to surrender leadership of yourself. The second section of scripture, at the second half of verse 22, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He says, this is what I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem. And then he says, this is what I do know. Wherever I go, there's hardship. I don't know if we can fully grasp what must have been going through Paul's mind as he is here thinking about traveling down here to Jerusalem. He is resolutely setting his face toward Jerusalem, perhaps like Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem when it was time for his crucifixion. But he knows what's coming, and he doesn't pull a Jonah. He knows what's coming. And because he is compelled by the Holy Spirit, he follows through. Jesus, church, wants to take over. He wants you to surrender comfortableness. To surrender the things that just make logical, comfortable sense. The things that maybe calm you down, the things that you rely on, and sometimes he gives us blessing of, of those things, but sometimes he calls us out of them. For example, I, I believe this blanket is a gift of God in my life. I love this blanket. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a bad thing to enjoy the gifts of God, right? But sometimes God calls us to other things. And I think that we are mistaken if we assume that most of the time we will be comfortable in our Christian lives. Jesus wants to take over, and he wants you to surrender comfortableness. 
you need to know that if you are a Christian, it is probable that you will experience hardship. As, as I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we, we invite Jesus in, we invite Jesus into the mix, and we think, like I said at the beginning, like he's going to throw his Jesus dust on this and just like make everything better, when Jesus says, no, I've actually come in here to reorganize your life, to reprioritize, to clean out what needs to go, and maybe get a little more of what needs to be added, to put them in the order that they need to go in, and tell you what is most important, and then to sanctify what you have so that you can use it, not for your own pleasure, but for my purposes. This is what Jesus does. Jesus wants us to surrender comfortableness, and we need to get past this idea that inviting Jesus into our lives means that everything's going to be fine and happy afterward. Jesus says, come and follow me. And he says, anyone who would come and follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, our hope and the thing that we hope for, I was thinking about heaven this week, is heaven. We, the day will come when we just get to sit with our nice blankets and enjoy the gifts and the arrival of the, the war has been won. But in this human life we have, Jesus says, this is the way. If you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me to the cross because it's how we do things in my backwards and upside-down kingdom. Acknowledge the probability of hardship. I, I, I'm very concerned for the state of the American church today not having a, a theology of suffering. We have to learn how to lament. We have to learn how to figure out faith when our faith is challenged. We have to learn how to walk through sorrow. We have to figure out how forgiveness is probably an active, regular, almost weekly part of our lives because this is what Christians do. And I, I am concerned that too many people think that being a Christian is just like, I'm going to throw Jesus in and then it's the magic ingredient in the pot that just makes everything better. Jesus says, I'm, I'm in charge, though. I'm in charge. I need to surrender comfortableness. This kind of living, the kind of living that accepts hardship, this is the kind of living that purifies. Purification happens in a fire. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Purification happens with our motives and our faith. The, the fire's purge self-centeredness in us. Going through the fire purges self-righteousness. Going through the fire humbles us. Being willing to be the kind of people who accept that there will be hardship is the kind of thing that toughens us up, that builds maturity, that builds resilience. We have got to be followers of Jesus who have some resilience. And Jesus says, I invite you to follow me and to surrender your comfortableness. And he says, it won't always feel good. But it, you will go deeper. You will grow stronger. You will participate in my kingdom plan. You will be part of something bigger than yourself. You will become a new creation that you cannot even imagine without having gone through that fire. And I think a bunch of us are stuck here with our, with our blankets saying, well, I'm just, I'm not going to leave my leaders. I'm just going to stay in Miletus. When perhaps God is saying it's time to go to Jerusalem. 
And so my questions for you here are, if you let Jesus take over, what comfortableness might you have to give up? If you let Jesus take over, what, what comfortableness might you have to give up? Could it be one of these things? Is, the, is there comfort that is found in time or in food or in drink or in substances, in material items, in money, in sex? Is, it, is there a comfortableness that if Jesus were truly in charge of your life, he might challenge The second question is, if obedience to God leads to hardship, will you still obey him? Or is hardship a deal breaker? If you experience hardship, maybe that's even directly related to your Christian faith. Like if the Bible rubs you the wrong way. If, or if, if you experience hardship and, you don't, and God doesn't answer your why and you don't get it. Is that your clue to walk away? Is hardship a deal breaker for you? I think we've all been in a place of wrestling with that question from time to time. But Jesus says, surrender your comfortableness. The, the probability of hardship is high. But he says, this is what it means to follow me, and ultimately, there is goodness. The third and final section of this begins in verse 24 where Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's just a profound statement. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is here in Miletus saying, my life is worth nothing to me. My life belongs to Jesus. Everything that I have all that I am, all that I'm about, all that I do belongs to Jesus. My life is not mine to control. Total abandon, total surrender, total openness to God, saying, here I am. Church, Jesus invites you to thirdly surrender your focus. Surrender your focus. Paul has one focus. He has a beeline from Miletus to Jerusalem. He has a focus. And his focus has been pre, uh, telling, giving testimony, testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's that second part of that, that last part of that verse. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And his focus, he says, it is my only aim. Verse 24. My only aim is to finish the race. Have any of you ever been in a race and you're like, I just got to finish? Yep, I don't care about the time, I just got to finish. And he says, my only aim is to finish. And he says, my only aim is to complete the task of testifying. God has given me a task. He's given me work to do. And the work that he's given, Paul says, is to testify, to tell other people about the good news of God's grace. That's what Paul's doing. He's telling people. He's testifying to the goodness of God. And he says, this is my job. He surrendered his focus from being on other things to being single-minded on the focus that God had for his life. 
Christians, we need to be aware of the conflict between your goals in life versus God's goals for your life. Maybe they're the same, maybe they're not. But you need to examine that question, your goals in life versus God's goals for your life. God's goals for your life will involve in some way the task of testifying. Your testifying, your telling might be in a different form than other people's, but as people called and invited into the mission of God, God's plan to make his mission happen in the world is to involve you and to use you. You have been called to this task of testifying. God is interested in your witness. He's interested in your talking about his grace in your life. Now, the goal of life is not to preserve our life, but to abandon it to God. To abandon our lives to God and say, God, I will be faithful to your calling on my life. There's a short little verse in Jeremiah 10 that I, I love this verse. I come to it frequently. Jeremiah 10:23. Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. That's a Bible way of saying, it's not your business how you decide how to live. It's God's business, and you would do well to pay attention. My questions for you, my first question is, what are you focused on? What are your goals? Your goals aren't necessarily bad. There might be some great things in there. What are some of the goals that you're working at right now? Things that are consuming your focus, things that you're working toward. Again, not necessarily bad or good, just write down what are some of the things that are goals in your life right now. The second question is, does God have the exact same focus for your life? Does God have the exact same focus for your life? Now, some of you might say, oh, no, actually, I see that now. And some of you might say, I'm not sure. And if you're not sure, that's okay, but pay attention to that and talk to God about it. Pursue that with him. Maybe it's the sort of thing that's, that's not antithetical, but, but is, there, is there something more, perhaps, that God is calling you to? Explore that with God? Does he have the exact same focus for your life? Because he's calling you to surrender your focus. To surrender your focus. I think what Paul is showing us here is that the goal of our Christian lives is not to preserve our life, but to be faithful to God, to whatever he calls us to. To say, God, you are not just a piece of my life. You are not just one of multiple parts, but you are over it. And you are the foundation. And you go before me and you go behind me. God, you are my leader. You are my source. And as we get this priority accurate, as we get this correct, we will be walking with the Spirit. Now, my life experience is, uh, I, you know, I have a time of repentance and focus and I I get, I get Jesus up here, and then, you know, there's life, and then Jesus kind of gets mixed in, or kind of put over here, and then I'm like, oh, oh, got to refocus here. 
that this is part of Christian life, part of maturity. And the sooner we get Jesus back up here again, the, more we, the, the quicker we, we get back in line and, and get back in step with the Holy Spirit. But this is what faithfulness looks like. This is what surrender looks like. There is a prayer from Wesley's Covenant Renewal Prayer. We, uh, at City Life, we do the Covenant Renewal Service the first Sunday of every new year. And we do this covenant renewal service of just consecrating ourselves back to God again. And uh, well, I guess we didn't do it last year because half the church had COVID at that time, so we didn't have a service that day. So we, we missed 2022. But anyway, because we missed it, I thought this might be good to include this today. But this is a covenant renewal prayer focusing on our commitment to total surrender to God. And I want to invite you to read this out loud with me. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Church, many of us who claim to be Christians live lives that are not compelled by the Holy Spirit. We live lives that are compelled by our own self-leadership. Many of us who claim to be Christians live lives that seek comfortableness over any kind of sacrifice Jesus might call us to. Many of us who claim to be Christians live lives that lack God's kingdom focus. Many of us are mission neutral. Many of us have not done anything to be part of what God is doing in our generation. Many of us are more interested in adding Jesus to see if he makes life a little bit better rather than letting Jesus take over. And what he wants, church, is everything. He wants it all. There's so much goodness in giving it all to him. Do you believe he's worth abandoning everything for? Do you believe that Jesus is so good and so satisfying and so rewarding that you'll leave all you have and you'll find fullness in him? Do you believe in him enough to obey him? Do we believe that he is who he says he is? Do we believe that he will do what he says he will do? Because if we do, then our best response is to say, here I am, here I am. Lord, I am willing. There's a prayer by Nelson Mink that says, Lord, I am willing to receive what you give. I am willing to lack what you withhold. I am willing to relinquish what you take. I am willing to suffer what you inflict. I am willing to be what you require. Total surrender. There's nothing better than total surrender. 
For Paul, it left to a death, not unlike Jesus. For us, it might not mean imprisonment with where we live. It might not mean death. But perhaps it might someday. And perhaps there is something that he is calling you to die to. Perhaps there is something he's calling you to leave behind. And I want to invite you to take a, a piece of paper right now and write down what is something that God wants me to surrender. What is God calling me to surrender? Is he calling me to surrender self-leadership of my own life? Is he calling me to surrender comfortableness? Is he calling me to surrender my focus? Or something else? What is, what is he calling you to surrender today? I want you to write these things down on a piece of paper. And in a few moments when we come to receive communion, as an act of physically communicating a laying this down before God, I want to invite you to just come and lay these papers down here on the altar before receiving your communion elements. For some of you, perhaps you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord of your life. You have not put your faith in him to be Lord. You have said, I'm comfortable with him being added into the mix here and there, but I'm not comfortable with him being Lord. But today I surrender to him being Lord. And if that's you, I want to ask you to fill out a communication card, actually, with tell me how to get a hold of you, and then, and then mark that box that says that. Because maybe this is your day to surrender and say, I'm tired of just a little dabbling in a little bit of Jesus. I hear the call. I hear the call to follow, and I'm responding. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you today with these things to surrender, these attitudes, these material objects, these emotional burdens, these concerns. Surrendering our questions, surrendering our stuff, surrendering our money, surrendering our bodies. And we say, here we are, open hands, open arms, You've ca you're calling us to s total surrender, and it feels so counterintuitive, it feels so awkward, it doesn't feel normal, like it's what people should do, and yet Jesus in your upside-down, backwards kingdom, where things just are different than what they might seem in this world, that's where we find our hope. And we trust you, Jesus, for your redemption, your hope, your healing, your purification, your molding and your shaping of us, and most importantly, the accomplishment of your kingdom. So we humble ourselves before you today. We confess sin. We confess hard-heartedness. We confess resentment, resistance. We confess stubbornness. We, we, we confess self-righteousness. We surrender to you today, God. Amen. And we have, with these communion elements, 
the body and the blood of Jesus. We have this example of Jesus who showed us total surrender of saying, here's my body, here's my blood. Jesus showed us what to do. He laid it all on the cross, saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Similarly, there's the blood. The blood that is made out of juice of grapes that have been crushed. Grapes that have been rolled and crushed and pressed. And it's blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. As you come today, I invite you to come humbly, humbling yourself before God. Lay down before him as an act of surrender what you are surrendering to him, and then come and receive the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus.